Good morning, all. I am glad to be back. I am. Did you miss me? Be honest. All right. Oh, good. Shane did. Awesome. Everybody else, I don't know. Uh, I'll just deal with it as it comes. All right, so I am really, really excited about this weekend. Not only am I back in the saddle, so to speak. I've never been a cowboy, but I guess I'm living that dream right now. I feel like I'm back in the saddle, and we're in this brand new little mini-series called It's Personal. And I want to start just this talk and tell you about something that's personal to me, something happened a few years ago. And really, much of you, if you've been around for the last couple of years, this actually influenced you and also influenced the ministry team. A lot of things happened at the same time where we had this, this leadership aha moment. And uh, so really, it started a few years ago. And I, I realized that I, I slowly realized that I was having some bad patterns of, of work. And I knew that eventually that it may catch up with me, but I thought, you know, I was just, I was just, I just thought if I could just soldier on, I was thinking about work seven days a week. I couldn't get away from it, whether I was in the office or outside of the office, if I was at home, I was thinking about it when I was at the dinner table. I was thinking about it on Saturday morning when I should have been, you know, maybe doing other things that I needed to do around the house. I was thinking about work. I was thinking about my preaching. I was thinking about my message that's coming up. And I always had this impending, almost impending doom, like Sunday's coming, Sunday's coming. And it started to really cripple me as an individual. But then also, it didn't dawn on me in that moment when it started to cripple me as an individual because I thought, well, you know what? I'm I'm a guy. I can kind of soldier through. It's going to be okay. I'll just kind of rest eventually or there's a, you know, there's a vacation coming. And yet the vacation didn't come. And then when I was on vacation, I wasn't mentally on vacation. I was still here. I just had some very unhealthy patterns and habits that were forming in my life. And I didn't realize how bad they were until I was actually sitting down with, with my family one day. And I believe we were sitting at the dinner table. And, and it was just, it should have been one of those moments where it was a great conversation and just there and lighthearted. But yet I just thought internally, I thought this, this tendency in me to disconnect from the moment to say, no, I've got important things to do. Like, and not to be present in the moment with my family. And yet, I thought before that, if I just, if I just white knuckle it, if I just grit my teeth and bear it, I'll just get through with this. But when I realized that what I was doing was impacting my family, then I started the change. And honestly, that began this process where we started to, I started to look at Sabbath in a different way. I started to study Sabbath in a different way. I'd never been taught it growing up, and even in seminary, it wasn't emphasized at all. Although it was one of the Ten Commandments, it wasn't emphasized. But in that, I thought that I could get out of it until I realized what I was doing was impacting my family. You see, until it became personal in that way, I didn't really change. And a cool thing that was happening at the same time was many of the people in the leadership team were also kind of tired and exhausted, and I had been leading them poorly. And then I just really helped us to put the brakes on to say, man, we have to Sabbath. So we, we as a ministry team, started talking about Sabbath and observing the Sabbath before I ever preached on it. So it was just a really neat thing. But it had to be so personal to me that I had to realize that something had to change if I was going to, to be the man that I was supposed to be and the dad that God was calling to me and the husband that I was called to be, and honestly, just the man of God that God was calling to me, me to be, I had to make it personal before the change happened. Today we're going to talk about something that is 
personal to you, if you're parents or grandparents or you're a caregiver of kids, this has to be personal to you. And when it comes to faith and when it comes to character, there's something that I really want you to think about and I want you to have just etched into your mind. It has to be in you before it's in them. It has to be in you before it's in them. There's too much at stake for you to think, ah, they'll get it eventually. Or, ah, I hope it'll turn out okay. It has to be in you before it's in them. And for me, the change had to happen in me. had to be personal to me. But I observed how it was impacting my family, and I knew that I had to change. And perhaps you'll have one of these too. And yet the interesting thing is this. If it's not in you, if meaning that if you don't have a life of faith or if your character has, hasn't been developed by Jesus, people around you already know it. And actually, kids can sense it. So if you, merely, if you are merely trying to instill faith and morals for the sake of your kids, but it's not a priority personally, trust me, they'll eventually catch on. So if you attend church and you're, you're here and you're in a community group, but you're like, yeah, I'm just really here for my kids. Or I'm just serving because I want my kids to be in church. I want my grandkids to be in church. And I want my kids to be in church. So I'm here because I really want my kids to learn something. I want them to be better moral people. I want them to have character. And Sure, I, I want them to even, I want them to get saved. If it's not in you, it's not going to be in them. Not to, it's, you're not going to get ultimately what you want. So if you're merely trying to instill faith, and morals for the sake of your kids without you. And if it's not a priority to you personally, making it personal to you, they're eventually going to catch on. And when they catch on, trust me, you're not going to have the result that you want. You see, kids have this amazing fake detector, don't they? Like they just know. They just know when you're bluffing. They know that, that if you say no and they push hard enough, they can probably get you to say yes. They know this. They know how to wear you out. They, they not only know where all of your buttons are, but they also know how to press them, don't they? And kids know the, the fake detector. And sadly, when it comes to faith, if faith isn't personal, if, the, if your faith, or rather, if faith isn't in you and your character isn't being defined and shaped by Jesus, what could happen with your kids is they can do the same thing they, that they did to their cleats when they stopped playing sports. You just hang them, hang them up on a hook or you put them in a closet. If, if it's not personal to you and your own walk isn't personal to you, if you're just trying to do things just because you want something for your kids, ultimately by the time they stop making slime or the, stop, the time that they stop playing with Legos, they're going to be gone. They're going to be disconnected. They're not going to have a faith of their own. It has to begin with you. It has to begin with you, but you have to make it personal. And yet, sadly, what we try to do is we, we try and think, well, I have to be this perfect person, and if I'm not this perfect person, then God can't use me. One of the things that I found is, is certainly true. It seems like God is more interested in using broken people than it is in creating a better picture. And this is, this is what we do. We try and... We try and manicure our life where we have this, this perfect picture in mind. And we have this picture, and these are the type of pictures we hang around our house, right? The, the perfect, we're having fun as a family. Not when your three-year-old's having a tantrum. Like, you're not putting that one up. Maybe for fun, just store it away until, like, until they turn 16 or something, maybe. 
But like you don't put those pictures up. Instead, you put these pictures up. And, and this becomes not just a, a picture, but this is a metaphor for your life. Many times the, the faith and character is not in us because we think there has to be a perfect picture. We think that it has to be perfect for our kids to get it. And yet the reality is life is not always like this, is it? Can, can somebody who's real say amen? Like this is not the way life always is. Sometimes, sometimes life is not like that at all. And other times life is like this. And when life's like this, we may think, oh, that's no big deal. You know, we, we'll get through this. But what we do as parents affects our kids. In this picture, you probably can't see it from in the back, but there's two adults who are sitting on a couch, and, and it looks like they're having a heated conversation, let's say. And there's a child who is in the front of this image, and he has his hands over his ears. He's like, I just can't take it anymore. Here's mom and dad arguing again. But I want to encourage you, for you to be able to influence the next generation, it's not a, a perfect picture that you need to long after. And I want you to be encouraged by this. God is more, more concerned, I believe this, in all of the Scriptures. There's not one perfect person who lived outside of Jesus. And yet God just has a habit of using broken people. And I think He's more important than that than, than just than he is in just interested in creating a perfect picture. So how do we get there? How do we get there? That should be a question that you're thinking about right now. I want to start with this. For us, if, if you want to have this, this type of faith that transcends you, that goes into your kids. I mean, I even was thinking about you. If you're not even married and you hope to be married, this is so valuable for you right now. You learn so many things. You learn things ahead of time. If you're, like, if you're maybe just getting ready to have a child, these, these principles are so valuable to you right now because for you, if you would learn these things early, this will lead to a lot less regret. It really will. If you were to get this right now, then you won't have those years of regret that are piling up or that would pile up. So how do we get to not a perfect picture, but it is a better picture. How do we do that? And how do we have a faith that transcends us and goes to our kids? I, I will encourage you to do this. Let our kids, let your kids see you struggle to grow. Let your kids see you struggle to grow. If faith looks easy to them, they're going to be really disheartened whenever they realize that faith isn't easy for them. So if, it, if it, you just make it look so easy and you don't talk about your struggles, then there's going to be this persona that, that you're emitting that is just immeasurable. Like they, they'll never reach it. It's such a high bar that, that when they get in and they have a, a faith where they struggle of their own, if they don't see you struggle, they're not going to know how to struggle through it themselves. So how do you do this? You struggle it by being authentic, by talking about it, talking about how you feel, talking about the struggle that you're in, talking about how it is that you are, that, that God is bringing you through this, and yet your, your faith is being challenged in this moment, and how your character is being developed through it. Also, it takes transparency. They need to hear our transparency, sitting down and talking about it, so they don't think that we're trying to 
that they don't think that our faith is perfect, so they see us for who we really are. So whatever you want the next generation to become, you should honestly strive to become as well. Whatever you want the next generation to become, you should strive to become as well. So if you want the if you want within your kids, if you want them to make church a priority, then make church a priority. If you want honesty to be an important part of their life, make it an important part of your life. If you want your kids to be to be socially aware and engaged with other people when they're an adult, then be that for them now. If you want uh, if you want your kids to pursue God, then you yourself pursue God. If you want your kids to respect leaders, then watch your attitude toward leadership. If you want your kids to be humble, then show them true humility. If you want them to work hard, then work hard. You're right in front of them. There's this passage in Deuteronomy 6, and that's going to be our main passage Today, But there's this incredible passage, one of the most important passages of the Old Testament, as a matter of fact. And in this passage of Scripture, the, the people of God are right on the edge of the promised land. And this was a promise that God had said, hey, this, this day is coming and this promised land is yours. And there's so many great things about this land that they were promised. And they had been struggling for years and years and years, decades, just struggling to get to this place. And then God gives them this last bit of information before they actually cross over into the promised land. And, and of this information, this is, if, if you're a Jewish person, this is the most, really the most sacred part of the Scriptures for them. This, the Scriptures are sacred, but they, they hold this in such high regard, specifically verses 4 through 6. And so in Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 6, what we're also going to see is how God wants us to make a legacy, and how God has prescribed for us to have a faith that is in us, but then carries its way into our kids, and how our character, as it's shaped by God, then influences the next generation. I know it says one through six, but we're actually going to read one through seven, maybe a little farther, I don't know. I'll let you know when we get there. Let's read it together. Verse one. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God has directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess. Stop right there for a moment. Here's the context. Ten Commandments had been just reiterated. It was, it was said originally in Exodus, and now here's Deuteronomy. Now they've been reiterated. This is what is being talked about now. So he says, these are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God has directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Verse 2. So that you, here's the legacy, so that you, your children, and their children, after them, may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all His decrees and commands I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord the God of your fathers promised you. So here we go. Here's the promise, the land flowing with milk and honey. They had just spent decades in the desert, in the parched desert, struggling, trusting God and God provided for them. And now they're getting into a land that has a different kind of promise. 
And God was delivering them. And it wasn't just a lamb that said, hey, now you guys have your own land and now you can go do whatever you want. No, that's not what this passage says. It says, no, the way that you're going to live a long and good and healthy and abundant life, the way that you're going to live that life is if you live it in, in, in accordance with God's laws and commands and decrees. He says, this is how you're going to live the long and good life. Next verse, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear, or Shema is how it would be said if you were Jewish. It's hear, meaning not, it's more than just, it's just, well, listen, it's, it's pay attention and do this. It's listen with, with your mind, but engage it in your heart in such a way that you do it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Well, why would he say the Lord is one? Because all of the surrounding lands were polytheistic. They believed that there was more than one God. And they would just kind of formulate their own gods, depending upon the land that they were in. So every time that they would formulate their own, their own gods, then the people of God would then get corrupted. And then they would try to worship these other things and then God would come in and discipline them and try and bring them back into right relationship. And this is just the cycle all throughout the Old Testament, isn't it? And now there's this reminder, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. He says, love the Lord your God. The Lord is one. Uh, it's God is Father, God is Father, and God is Son, and God is Holy Spirit. It's the three in one. Them operating as one. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Look what it says in verse 7. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit down, and when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your foreheads and bind them on their, uh, excuse me, tie them as symbols on their hands and bind them on their foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And they literally would do this. Culturally, that was, they literally would do that. So the way that God prescribed the people of God at the time for Israel to be able to carry this idea of of faith and character and to transmit that to the next generation. He says, is to love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And this is the same thing that Jesus would, would echo. He takes one of these verses and he echoes the same thing in Matthew 22, starting in verse 34 through 40. When Jesus summarized the Old Testament, New, he summarized all the Old Testament law. And he reiterated this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he says that the law and prophets hang on these two things. So taking one of these incredibly valuable passages, and he says, the, the law it, and the prophets, they hang on these two truths. So he says, all of the Old Testament, it really comes down to two, these two principles. And I would just say this, all of the, of the New Testament, it ultimately comes down to these two principles. What I find parents say is, well, I hope my kids have a faith of their own. 
Well, I hope they turn out to be virtuous. I hope that they're people who serve in their community. I hope that, they're, that, that they become parents. I hope that, I hope that. The problem is hope is not a strategy. Hope in that moment is just a fleeting emotion. That's what they mean. It's just a fleeting emotion. Well, I just hope, and I just, and it's just, well, I just hope. Hope is not a strategy. What God is prescribing for us here is a strategy. So if the target for you and I is to pass a personal faith along to children, parents should make it a priority to have a faith that's personal in their own lives. If the target, if that's your target, and I realize that may not be all of your targets. I want this to be your target because your kids are going to have less regrets and you're going to have less regrets and you're going to get to know your grandkids' names and your great-grandkids' names if you, if you are still alive to, to see them and, and you're going to be connected as a family. I believe that this isn't just something to, uh, just something to fulfill a couple hours in a week, but what God is prescribing is a way of life for the people of God. It is a way of life. And he says, when you love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, he says, and these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. And he says, impress them upon your children. There's some intentionality. Impress them. What kind of intentionality is prescribed here? Let's look at it again. Verse 7. Talk about them when you sit down and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. This is the intentionality in every aspect of life. Look for opportunities to share faith in character developing things. Impress them. But if faith for you is just this two hour block on a Sunday morning. Then faith for them is going to be the same thing. And as soon as they get old enough to hang up those cleats. And as soon as they mature past that stage or they get beyond the slime making stage or the Lego stage or as soon as they get their driver's license or as soon as they graduate, they're going to hang up their faith. And then eventually it's going to be just something in their past. You may be thinking, well, man, I have to do everything right now. You don't have to do everything right now because faith and character develop over time. Faith and character develop over time. God has developed your faith and he has developed your character over time. So sure, you may have made some mistakes. You may not have impressed it upon your kids. You may have thought, well, I just hope that they'll turn out. And maybe that's that you've done some things wrong. But I want you to know this, that, that there is a way back. That, that God is a God of grace and he's a God of mercy. And it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And maybe right now you need to step back into the fold where you become that, that primary spiritual caregiver for your kids. You need to embrace this truth, but also embrace it in this way. That doesn't mean that you need to do everything right now, and if you don't get everything right right now, that you're a failure. Faith and character develop over time. They will. What parents tend to do in these situations is they tend to fake it. They tend to, to, to jump in and they run really, really fast. And it's like they sprint and they get to that 50-yard dash. And it's like, <sighs> and then they go right back to the old pattern. So for us, if we're to be honest about our own faith and our own character, we're observing that with our kids and we're being authentic and we're being transparent. Understand that it takes time and it's developed over time. And if you hide it, Understand this, 
sooner or later, those weaknesses will surface. If you try and hide it, you try and put up the perfect picture, sooner or later, those weaknesses are going to surface. Sooner or later, you're not going to be able to fool your kids anymore because they're going to be smart. Sooner or later, there's going to be aspects of your kid's life where they're going to be smarter than you. Anyone try and do homework with like a fifth grader? And they're like, did I learn this in fifth grade? Like, I don't even remember this. Sooner or later, that day is coming where, where you're going to be learning things from your kids again. So how about you just be up front with your own faith journey, with your own character development? Understanding that, yes, one day, if I bluff my way through this, one day, these things are going to surface. You know, there's not been one time where I've had this this God moment where the Holy Spirit hasn't revealed something, a character issue with me, and then I'll go to Marla or, or talk about it at the dinner table with you know, all of us as a family where I've said, man, God has shown me this. I don't believe there's been one time where my, where my wife or my kids have sat back and said, oh, my goodness, I never knew you struggled with that. Oh. I'm like, there's not one time. It's most of the time it's like, mm-hmm, like you're just getting this, you know, like, wow. You know, I mean, that's just life. Sooner or later, those weaknesses will surface. And the encouragement is this. Everything doesn't have to be right in you or even about you before you can be a positive influence in your kids' lives. We're not, again, we're not looking for this this perfect picture. We're not. We're looking for the the real picture, the authentic picture, the, the transparency, the connection, the, the transcending of your faith and character into your kids. So, how do I do it? You have to be authentic. You have to make it personal. You have to be authentic and you have to make it personal. The good news is this. Your kids already have a front row seat to your life. They're already observing. They, they, they may look like that, oh, I'm not really paying attention. They're observing everything about you. So you just have to be authentic about your journey, about your struggles, about what your spiritual disciplines are. The times where, where maybe you, you respond in anger and, and tell your kids how, how God has walked you through that and how the Holy Spirit has revealed that. Oh, I, I, I got angry with you. I'm sorry. And then take it to another level and then go apologize to them if that, if that explosive anger then burst out onto them. And talk about that struggle and model that struggle. You have to be authentic. You have to make it personal. Your kids already have a front row seat. This is the good stuff. So if you, want your, if you want your children to have faith and character in them, they have to see it in you. So they also need to see these things in you. They need to see you struggle with answers to face your weaknesses, to deal with real problems. And not just doing so behind closed doors, but to see you deal with real problems. They need to see you fight for your marriage. They need to see you resolve personal conflict. If they don't see these things in your life, they're going to assume that you don't have them for a little while. And then they're going to realize something about you just doesn't make sense. That there's a part of your life that is shut off from them. And then what if that's the very fracture in the foundation of their faith? Because you weren't impressing upon them these values like Moses talked about. So if you don't make it personal for yourself, it's not going to be personal for them. If, if 
Faith isn't personal in you. If you don't talk about your faith journey with them, they're not going to talk about their faith journey with you. That's the reciprocal part of that. So simply begin with this, being honest. Being honest gives people, especially your children, a front row seat to see the grace of God active and alive. And isn't this what we want? We want them to see the grace of God active and alive. We want to model it in such a way. We want want our kids to see us struggle with the faith stuff and with the character-shaping stuff. So we're not saying, well, I hope that they turn out. Instead, we're impressing it upon them. We're showing them the grace of God. We're showing them the mercy of God. We're showing them and modeling them what repentance looks like. These things don't just happen. You have to be authentic. You have to make it personal. You have to be intentional. Let me ask you this question. What kind of consistent deposits are you making in your own personal life? Specifically, for the sake of those who you want to be personal with. What kind of consistent deposits are you making in your personal life? What are you doing? What are you doing specifically to help you in your faith journey? Again, this message, while I love family ministry and that's great, it doesn't begin with kids and students. It begins with parents. It begins with you. I want to recommend a couple different deposits that you can make. First one is a spiritual deposit. A spiritual deposit, it's fairly obvious. But you should be asking yourself, what type of spiritual deposits do I make in my own life now that are shaping my faith and character? Or maybe another question would be, what, what spiritual deposits am I resisting right now? Maybe you're resisting the community aspect of of your spiritual walk. And maybe you love this interaction, but you've never been a part of a Bible study. You've never been a part of a men's group or ladies group. You've never been a part of a well gathering or the Warriors weekend gathering, or you've never been a part of, of community groups because the relational side, you're like, no, I like this because this is comfortable. Many of the spiritual deposits that you make in your life are corporate, communal, deposits. You need the family of God. And I think that maybe the reason why that you you don't necessarily get connected in community is because you're not okay with being vulnerable with people. But they need to see you. Your kids need to see you. And you need to talk about these spiritual deposits. So here's how we do it. To make true spiritual deposits in our lives, we may need to explore personalized spiritual paths. What I love about spiritual growth is it's not a one-size-fits-all thing. I'm so thankful of that. Meaning that it's a personalized spiritual path. There's an aspect to, to your individual walk that may be a little different than mine. The way that you may connect with God may be a little different than mine. We're going to have some things. You're going to have prayer, and you're going to have Bible study, and those types of things, get Bible intake. Those things are just bedrock into a walk with God, right? Amen? Like, you have to have these things. But maybe for you, maybe you need a little bit more solitude than I do. Maybe my natural tendency is to get into community and maybe it's a little more difficult for you and you have to trust God to get into community and to be more vulnerable. Maybe for you, your, your own, your, your growth area, the spiritual path 
that, that you need to grow in is being generous. That you tend to be a hoarder of your time, your talent, and your treasure. And maybe you need to have this more personalized spiritual path to where you, you release some of these things and you learn to be generous by being generous. This can go a bunch of different ways. But understand that it's not a one-size-fits-all type of deal. It's not. not a one size, it's not one-sized. It's not fit-all when it comes to the, to the ways that we connect with God most deeply and personally. See, this is refreshing to me. Because a few years ago, when we as a church, we really dug into the idea of spiritual formation and talking about the things that we do for spiritual growth are actually forming our desires. And the things that we love naturally get our attention and they get our affection. When we talked about these things, this was so liberating for me because I started to understand that there was a bunch of different ways to connect with God. I looked at many of the church environments and I thought, I just, I love it. It's, it's good. It's necessary. But, but there was just other things that I needed permission to go do. I needed permission to go into nature, to have some solitude time. Not for the sake of hunting, not for the sake of hiking, but for the sake of my relationship with God. That may not be your thing. You may have other areas that you need to, to dig into. So we talked about the spiritual deposit. Maybe for you it's a relational deposit. Maybe it's a, a relational deposit. A couple things about that. I would say this. Be strategic about friends. Be strategic about friends. Who you hang around with is who you're becoming. Who you are currently hanging around with is who you are becoming. There's no other way. That's just scripture. So be strategic about your friends. It may mean that you have to say no to some other friends. And you have to say yes to some friends that are helping to develop your faith and your character. Another thing, find a community of parents. Find a community of parents. Maybe for you, you need to look around and, and maybe you're just entering into the parenting stage altogether and you need to look around at somebody who, who's maybe one stage ahead of you and say, hey, could, would you come over to my house for dinner because I would like to talk to you about parenting. Most likely what they're going to say is, well, I'm not an expert. And you say, I, I know I'm not, I'm not looking for an expert. I'm just looking for honesty. I'm just looking for a little help. I'm not looking for the perfect picture. I'm just looking for an honest one. Could you help me? You see, people need people and parents need parents. People need people and parents need parents. We need one another and parents need other parents. When you have a community of faith like ours, this is one of the most beautiful parts of it. Is parents then coming together and people just coming together to help and to share life with one another, to help and give direction with one another. Let me ask you this question. Has this ever been a priority for you? Like, has your own walk with Jesus ever really been a priority for you? Or is it... Church is something you do. Is it not who you are? You see, if we want it to be in the next generation and the next generation and the next generation, it has to begin with us. So, 
Again, not looking for the, the perfect picture. We've got to be honest about what's going on in our homes. Understanding that, you know, I look over here and understanding that uh, these are all books out of my office and about how to be a better parent. This, this book, more than any other one, has helped me to be a parent and a man. Just how all that works together. It's been incredible. And all throughout uh, these books that I've read and different resources, I have not found a single book that teaches me how to parent my kids. A lot of valuable stories, some things that, that relate, but there's not one single thing that says, hey, welcome to parenting Austin and Gracie. Just, I've looked, they're not there. They'd be valuable to me. I'd pay a lot, you know, but, but, but they're not there. And you know what? When we get into this whole parenting thing, strangely enough, we go in with, with zero hours. We go in with zero hours. Malcolm Gladwell, in his book called Outliers, he said that a person becomes an expert when they have done whatever it is that they become an expert in, but it's take, taken 10 thousand hours for you to become an expert wow that's amazing unless you're a parent because you start with zero hours right you start with zero faith and character are developed over time not looking for the perfect picture but the honest picture telling about and impressing upon your kids kids grandkids whoever it is you're you're caring for being honest about your struggle and your journey so that you become a reliable person to talk to. Sharing your story with them. And interestingly enough, authentic stories are the hardest ones to argue with. Authentic stories are, are the hardest ones to argue with. So if you go through and you just tell about your story, your faith journey, and, and your wrestling, and, and, and your you know, the things that, that God has brought you through, and you're honest about those things, those things are the hardest things to argue with because it's your life and because they, your kids, have had a front row seat. They've had a front row seat. And when you give them that authentic story, then automatically you become a reliable source to talk about their story with. But it starts with this, making it personal. But it is personal, isn't it? It is. I sense it in the room. It's so personal. And we have to get this right, don't we? We have to get this right. I want you to know that you're not alone. It does begin with you, and it has to begin with you before it will be in them. 100%. But you're not alone. There are many people here who love you and want to help you. Maybe, to, maybe you've taken some bad, path, you know, bad paths and you've done your own thing and you're looking to come back. I know that there's just a ton of people between these two services who would love to help you and encourage you to help add the spiritual deposit and the relational deposit.